I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this morning from John, the 10th chapter, and then we'll go to uh, Ephesians, the 4th chapter. So John, the 10th chapter, verse 1 says, Truly, truly, I say unto you, and this is, he's speaking very specifically, obviously, to each of us. He that enters not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Now, in the, pre- in the following scriptures, he's going to reveal who the door is and who the thief and the robber is. But he, in verse 2, that enters in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the porter opens. We're going to see who the porter is here. To him, the porter opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. See, he knows each and every single one of us by our name. It's the new name which is how he has made us to be in our new image. He gave, he gave Simon Peter, he gave Simon a new name. He called him Peter. And he gives us these new names, and that's again brought out in Revelations 2 and verse 17. And the fact is, we are his own sheep. You could, you could read it like this. We are his owned sheep. He owns us. He bought us with a price. He bought us. So in, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. So we are his own, and this is a beautiful truth, and this is a beautiful truth that was brought out to me this morning, and I needed it like I hadn't had a cup of cold water for a while, and I was in the heat of the desert. And when he, notice, when he puts forth his own sheep, notice this, he goes before them. In other words, there's not a place that you and I can go, or that he sends us to, that he hasn't already been in the eternal mind of his plan, which is the equal of his nature, which is love, and that love just coming out beautifully with wisdom. And when he puts forth his own sheep, his own, (laughs) he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. Why? Because they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. Strangers. Now, we can understand in John 10, verse 5, where it says strangers, and you see voices here that we have seen already in these first five verses in John, the 10th chapter. If you look at it, you can look at it with 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter, and look at verse 6 right through the 12th verse. And you'll see there are many voices in the world as opposed to the one voice of who we are as his owned sheep. Now, verse 6, this parable spoke Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spoke unto them. Then said Jesus unto them, truly, 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 truly. In other words, let me have your attention. Let me have your attention. Look at me. Look away from all that would distract in Hebrews 12, verse 2. Cast aside every imagination and every false thought and reasoning in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. And look at me, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am, for you individually, your only door and you are mine. 
All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he will be delivered. Of course, salvation, but then continuously. And this we're going to see this morning goes into our thought life. How we think. And then how we think is how we are going to feel or interpret God, ourselves, others, the, the local assembly, our situations, and our circumstances. I am the door by me. If any man enter in, and he may freely, especially those that are mine, the way is open. He will be delivered and will go in and out and find pasture. God forbid that we go out if we haven't first gone in. And then going in here brings out the truth in Revelation 2 and verse 4. Don't leave your first love. Do not leave the freshness of your first love. In other words, your constant dependence upon my love for you. Because if you don't, you go out and, and instantly... Instantly, in James 1, 21 to 25, you forget what manner of man you are. And this has to do with the thought life, the, the projections of the enemy. You will go in, and when you go in, he will not only supply you with the supply that you need, and we'll see this again in John the 10th chapter, and in the 10th verse, you will go out and have plenty to give to others. Because in Psalm 23, verse 5, your cup will overflow. In other words, God has you and I to go into him, constantly in dependence, so he can overwhelm us with his love and have more than a supply for ourselves and live in the freest life that there is. Living to him and in his presence, I always lose myself in his presence because in Psalm 16, 8, I set him before my face. And then there's joy in his presence. And I have so much to come out with and give to others. And then I find pastures, plenty to feed on, and plenty of those that need to be fed. The thief comes not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. See, this is the abundant life. The, uh, the, the life that we have individually, that we only have, is the joint that we are, that we can supply others with in Ephesians 4 and verse 16. But verse 15, we need to grow up into him. And this, again, is the thought life. This is continual training. And so he says this, you'll have it, that you might have life, and then you have it abundantly. Abundantly, You see, when we go in through right teaching, through, through the Holy Spirit, taking the things of Christ in John 16, 13, and 14, and showing them unto us, again in the 15th verse, in that same chapter of John 16, and when that happens, I have more than I need for me and plenty for others. <laughs> because he always, in Ephesians 3, and verse 19, he always does exceeding and abundantly above all that we could ask or think. See? 
So we have on our mind what we believe our need is. And once we get there, he overwhelms us to the point where it's no, we no longer even think of ourselves. When, it's, when we have the mind of Christ in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 16, and you'll notice in Philippians 2 and verse 5, it is in between verses 3 and 4 and 21 of Philippians. We lose ourselves in his presence. He's our overwhelming supply, and immediately it's others. The others for us, the others for us here at this time is, is the place, the local assembly, where God has called us. Now, again, the thief come, came to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and might have it and have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives, gives his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling, hired system, hiring a system, and not the shepherd. Because of, of course, and you'll see in 1 Peter 5, you look at those first four verses, God doesn't hire and, and, and hire and make, he doesn't make people through a process to become pastors. They're gifted with that. And they don't do it for hire. They don't do it for that reason. Never. They don't do it for hire. Because then the, the, the life of the, of the shepherd doesn't flow through the under-shepherd. Now, again, but he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own sheep are not, then he's not owned by them. He then sees the wolf coming. Do you see Satan set up? How he sets up those that aren't in the proper place with the proper gift? He sets them up because he knows he's going to use that one through what he does going around him, probably in, could be even to him personally and through him, to cause the sheep to flee. Because they'll see the wolf coming and they'll leave the sheep and flee and the wolf catches them. And I want us to see this. I want us to see this word here this morning and scatters them. How does the enemy do that today to us? How does he do that today? How does he scatter us? Because we are his sheep. If you're born, you're born again, you've received Christ as your Savior, you are his. You, he owns you. That mean, that He owns you. But how does the enemy scatter those of us that are Christ today? Through the thought life. Through thought projections. Through thought projections. He causes them. He catches them. How does he do that? The will hasn't been submitted. They're not yoked up to him anymore. In Matthew 11, 28 to 30, they begin to labor. And when they labor, when they labor in their thought life, when, where, and how God should do things and when he hasn't and so forth, then they become heavy laden. And that's when the wolf comes in because they're weak, they're frail, they don't have energy. They don't have the essential nature of God, which is love for their energy and then they lose the purity, the purity of who they truly are because they've lost the sight of who God is. 
and they've left their first love. We can never leave it, obviously, even in this chapter in John 10, 28 and 29. We, can, we, we can't leave him positionally, but we can experientially. The hireling flees. When things get tough, when things get tough, when they, when, when they get bad, when they do, the one that is in a place where he shouldn't be teaching flees. He flees when the things get tough. You know, Paul said in Acts 20, 24, I don't count my own life dear to myself. See, that's what a harling does. I don't count my own life dear unto myself because I know that my true life is Christ and when he is my life, others are become the very, my very life in this beautiful exchange, which can be that. And that's why he commended them. He didn't commend them even to himself as an apostle. This is, this is Acts 20, uh, uh, 32. He didn't commend them unto himself. He didn't commend them unto a board of elders. No such thing in the scriptures in the church age whatsoever. Never, 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 never. He didn't commit them unto a pastor. He didn't, or a teacher. He, commit, he, commit, he commended them and committed them over to God and the word of his grace. That's what he did. The harling flees in 1013 of John because he is a harling and cares not for the sheep. The enemy comes in and says, they don't care for you anymore. There's not a care. Where does that come from? Well, in 1 Peter 5 and verse 6, humble yourself. But again, the verse before that again, and I just say this, and we're all growing, we're all children, we're all technia in Galatians 3.28. We're all technia. We're all children. My little children. 1 John 2.1 and, and John, the, the beloved apostles, including himself. My little children. Technia. They're not weos there in terms of their growth and maturity. We're all children. Every single one of us are. He cares not for the sheep. First Peter 5, 5, you younger submit yourself to the elder. Humble yourself. Why? Because humble yourself. Because they are the mighty hand of God. That's really what it's saying. Are they the source of it? No. But humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in God's due time in the plan. That he may exalt you in due time. Because if you don't, you'll, never ca- you'll always be anxious and you will never cast all your care upon him. And you truly, truly, ultimately, you just, the enemy convinced, trying to convince you that somehow God is, is against you. You may and I may blame others, but the fact of the matter is, when we come right down to it, if we believe we're the dot and we, when we receive Christ, he encircled himself around us, then God is the issue with me in all, at all times. And that's why in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 15, all things are for our sakes because they went through God. All things are of God because they went through God in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 18. And, and Romans 8, 28, all things 
work together for God's divine good to them that are the called. Are you owned? Are you his sheep? Are you his? Did he buy you? Does he protect you? Yes. To them that love him, the only place in that whole epistle of Romans that's ever mentioned, to them that love him and are called according to what? His purpose. And that has nothing to do with our thoughts outside of Jesus Christ or the Word or God's plan. Do you see, God's plan is not any different than his thought life. Matter of fact, he implements his thought life and his particular will through a specific design plan that is to glorify himself and to bless you and I personally. This will be brought out for all eternity in, in terms of the substance of our fellowship. And again, we'll see that in Revelation 2 and verse 17. Now, Again, it says this, the harling flees because he is a harling and cares not for the sheep. Cast all your anxiety upon him, for he cares for you. Make God your expectation, not your circumstance, not your situation, not other people. My soul, and this is a learning process. Listen, we're not getting out of that process till we see him face to face. My soul wait you upon God, for from him comes my expectation. My expectation. Now, verse 14 of John 10. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep. And when, when my sheep get to know who I am, then they know, they know without a doubt, and they trust me who bought them. They trust me who bought them for anything and everything. And anything and everything, once they're, they're the dot and I'm the circle around them, becomes a means of giving thanks for all things in Ephesians 5.20 and thanks in all things in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18. Not just when finally he came through. <laughs> Not just then. We said this morning, a little before we began, sunny days are great. Sunny days are great. And stormy and cloudy days, they're just the same because he's the same. He never changes. Jesus Christ's the same. In our yesterdays, in our todays, and we'll see it forever in Hebrews 13 and verse 8. So we're to be content with such things as we have. In Hebrews 13, 5. Because he said, I'm not going to leave you nor forsake you. And when things, what we think we need in terms of provisions, become so great, they cause us to labor and be heavy laden. And we completely forget him. He's out of the picture. But thank God he never removes his eye from the righteous. Now, in looking at these things and understanding him, these things... This is what is so very needed for us. We need to have the divine interpreter of the Word of God, the mind of Christ, and how God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and God the Holy Spirit think in themselves and think towards us. I want us to see that this morning as I see it with you. They th how they think about themselves is how they think towards you and I. How God thinks finally, when you agree with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, how he thinks about you, is how he thinks about another believer. And no different. 
no different at all. But the great secret, it's a great secret, and it's brought out in Psalm 25 and verse 14, the great secret is the presence of the Holy Spirit in the individual that makes up the body of Christ. Because when that's lost, when we lose the divine interpreter of the scriptures, we become private interpreters of them. You You and I will see that in 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. We become, well, that's what we become. And actually, we'll use what we think he finally came through for the, for the provisions as a means of now I can apply the word and be happy. <laughs> well, that's the great secret. Because when that's lost, I lose effective power. See, the Holy Spirit is the power that takes the power that Christ is who came from the power that God the Father is, and you see this and how it works, and you'll see it and I see it with you, when that power is lost, dependence, that's what it means to give ourselves to him. That's what it means to pray in Luke 18, 1, and Acts 6, verse 4, and 1 Timothy 2, and verse 8. That's what it means in Romans 12, and verse 12, and scores of other... Uh, verses in the Bible that teach prayer and how it teaches dependence and how it teaches humility. And then when that is, love flows. Now I have energy. The same energy that God is, he gives to me. And he gives me energy to always walk in the light, purity of who I truly am, pure thoughts. Philippians 4, verse 8, whatsoever things are truth, just, lovely, of good report, if there, if there be any virtue, and there is, if there be any praise, and there is, I am to think on these things. That's the mind of Christ. Is there any other thought that God thinks outside of that? Never. Well, here's what happens. We lose the power that the Holy Spirit is. We all have that power. We have that unction in 1 John 2, 20. We have him in 1 John 2 and verse 27. We have him in John 16, as we said, 13, 14, and 15 of those verses. We have him. But he's there. This is what it means in this sense of properly understanding what he was speaking to Israel in Isaiah 30, verse 18. We can glean from that right now. He's waiting to be gracious. Meaning, the Holy Spirit is in us. That's the fulfilled promise of receiving Christ after he finished the work in John 14, 16, and 17. And now he abides in us. But has he been given, have we given our will over to God the Holy Spirit? Has that happened? Has it happened? Because he's there as the power source, as the divine interpreter of the very mind of God of which he is in oneness. In oneness. We see that very clearly. But when he's disowned through a lack of submission, and we can all do this, Doubt, fear, worry. When he's disowned, we no longer go by him. Our minds are so filled with other things. Because the thief comes to what? He cannot take us out of our position in Christ in John 10, 28 and 29. But he seeks to steal, kill and destroy through what? The thought life 
And what is the what is the experience if it's not a pure thought life? Do you see it? And God is working those things in us through every circumstances. The good and what we term in him and his plan is bad. But is it? No. He takes what we think is bad to work out the bad that's in our experience. That's what he does. You see, that's a plan and that's a specific place. I don't need a contingent plan in case... This one doesn't work out. What do we base that on? Well, we can disown him through a lack of a, uh, a submissive will. We can. We can disown him. And then that brings in the ruin experientially. Why? Because the enemy causes us to lean on human wisdom. But what is human wisdom? It's walking under the prince and power of the air that we used to. But now in Christ, we've been positioned in Christ, but we can go right back to there instantly. That's Ephesians 2, 1 through 4. Specifically those first three verses. The prince of the power of the air comes right back into the experience. Ah, oh, I see you bless them. The enemy says to God, yes, yes, I did. Okay, let me have them for a time. And let's see how they bless you. <laughs> he has to work that in us too, by the way. His love for us activates through obedience and receiving and trust and leaning on him, his love for him. <laughs> it's just, it, it, just the way that it works. But leaning, and that's that word pistuo or pistis, faith. When we don't lean, we're going to lean one way or the other. Even, and this is why faith is so incredible, because faith doesn't have to do with my feelings. It has to do with the Word of God. That means even when I don't feel like it, I fall on Him. I lean on Him, because if I don't, I lean this way, and I fall back on nothing. Nothing but ruin and evil, because the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Don't we know, don't I know personally, and don't we all know that God is not going to leave us or forsake us? He'd have to forsake his son to do so. And if there's a time of suffering, it still is for his glory and our blessing to prepare us for even greater things. But what can surpass himself? What surpasses knowing him? In Philippians 3 and verse 10. You can know him in the power of his resurrection. That's getting all this truth. But to have it worked in, in the depth of the desire of his intimacy with us is going to bring in suffering, righteous suffering, not suffering because of sin and bad decisions and a bad thought life. But the very fact of being one with him, which, is, which, is, which was his high priestly prayer in John 17, 11, 21, and 22, if which was answered, the prayer of Jesus, even when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In, in Matthew 27 and verse 46 and Psalm 22 and verse 1, it was answered. The resurrection was the answer. And he brought us all with him. God would see who would choose him. He wouldn't ordain certain to go to hell and certain to go to heaven. 
And that would be what is known, is, is taught as Calvinism. But he also would teach us that he, only those that believe that the Father has propitiated them and has their sins dealt with, because he did not die for the sins of the whole world. He only died for those that were his own. It's brought out very clearly in the scriptures as we've been taught. Leviticus chapter 1, specifically the fourth verse, and get into the 16th chapter of Leviticus and look at those first, oh, let's say 18 to 20 verses, specifically 1 through 7 and down through. Now, this is the facts here. When we disown the Holy Spirit, who was gracious, he's there, but has he been given entrance through our submitted will and trust? What links, what did link me positionally with Christ? Wasn't it trust? Did it have, and faith, did it have anything to do with us? And some would say, well, yeah, well, I, I exercise faith. Yeah, I know who gave you the mind to do that and who caused you to do it. <laughs> Had a guy a long time ago mention that to me. Well, I have a will. Yeah, I know you do. Where'd you get it? And even with that will, do you have freedom until you submit that will? And who causes that? It's his first love that did all that. In Revelations 2 and verse 4, what makes us think we can do anything apart from him? In John 15, 1 through 5. Well, when we lean on what we think is human wisdom, it's because we disowned him through a lack of submitted will, and there's the ruin. Then we begin leaning on other systems and trying to make other systems to be the to be the provision. Those are all the systems that are outside of Christ. All those systems, the do's, the don'ts. <clears throat> you know, some say I am of Paul. Some say I am of Cephas, Apollos, some of Cephas. And some even don't need anybody, Christ. But is he divided? Is the body of Christ divided? Has the enemy divided us? from each other. I'll tell you how he does it. He gets us scattered in our thinking, our thought life. He scatters us. Then we soon forget all that we thought we knew <laughs> because it hadn't yet been worked into our experience. And that's what God is after because he wants his intimate love to be our only known reality. So then we begin to give decency and credit to these other systems, and they're out there. And, and, and really, what is it? It's just giving decency and credit to the world system. Because let me tell you, either Christ is my full thought, 1 Corinthians 2.16, Philippians 2.5, Philippians 4, verse 8, or it's the world's thinking. That's what we're left up to in our experience. We either lean on him, or we lean right back on the world system through an unsubmitted will, captured. We can have all that truth in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 24, but then when my will isn't submitted, the enemy uses that for, to oppose me, and I may blame people, circumstances, and situations, and even blame God. But if God, if God before me, and he is in Romans 8, 31, and Psalm 56 and verse 9, who can be against me? I'll tell you who. The enemy in a, in a wrong experience. That's who, for any of us. And this is a thought life. We're in training. 
We are. We're in child training, every single one of us. I don't care if we're, you're a babe in 1 John 2, 12 to 14, a young man or a spiritual dad. And in each of those places, you don't hop over. There's no hopping over. <laughs> all children, all the same place in Christ positionally, not yet experientially. But still, Christ is the source. Christ is the source in the vessel and that he uses in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, properly. So, so, but the enemy wants our thinking, to our personal thinking when it's not of Christ, to bring that into the local assembly or to try and bring the world's thinking into the church. And those are those systems. Those are all those systems there. And then we begin to lean on others. Well, this man taught that, and this man taught this, and I begin to lean on those because I'm leaning completely away from Christ, from the Holy Spirit. I lost the power in my experience. I am kept by the power of God. I am kept in 1 Peter 1.5 positionally, but how about experientially in my growth, in my maturity? In my maturity. Well... Here it is. Then, when it's not grace, and this is what I want to read next after I read John the 10th chapter, and read the rest of that chapter because it flows very, very beautifully. And God will give you some tremendous things about his thought life in Christ towards you. It really is beautiful. You can read the whole fourth chapter of Ephesians with that too. With the John the 10th chapter. With, it, with, with that chapter. But here, we, this, these are the two places that we can have in our experience. Okay? And this is Ephesians 4, verse 8. It says, Wherefore, he said, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. In other words, he led a whole train. Those that were captured by Satan, God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, prince and power of the air in this, in this particular, in Ephesians 2, 2, the, the prince of this world system that Jesus has nothing to do with and neither do we in John 12, 31 and in John 14, 30. The fact of the matter is, that's what it says. Wherefore, he said, when he ascended up on high, that's our position in Christ, above everything, because he and me and him is above everything on this earth. Everything, doesn't matter what it is. And he, once we were captive, we were slaves to sin in John 8, verse 34. We were slaves to sin under Pharaoh, the type of, of uh, Satan. And we were living in Egypt in, our, in, in the type of the world system. And he was a hard taskmaster. And boy, when he can be hard with me in my flesh, I can be hard on someone, I, I will. Those that are abused, unfortunately, unless something's done about it, become abusers. It's just the way it is. It doesn't always have to be that way, and it's not. But there has to be a break. <laughs> and that's the submission of the will. Now, here, he led a whole train of captives. Our love, his love, captured us because it first had to con conquer the world Satan and the flesh, he conquered all those, and then his love has led a whole train 
captive in this height of this, of this position, which has to do with his glory and our eternal blessing. His eternal glory and our eternal blessing. Here it says, he led captivity captive. And those that were captured, that he captured, were the gifts, he says here, they were, he gave gifts unto men. And we've said this before and even recently, the gifts are the men themselves that he's captured. And when they're submitted to him, when they submit themselves, they submit their gift. And then he flows in them as a vessel through that gift that he gave them. This is Ephesians 4 and 11. And he gave some apostles, not all, New Testament, some prophets, not all, just some. That's New Testament prophets. Old Testament prophets never knew this stuff. Of course, the mind of God did. They never did, but he did. He knew it, but they didn't. But he gave some prophet New Testament, not Old Testament. And some evangelists, this is what we're left with now, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. One, can, one can't do without the other, the other can't do without the other. It's the way it works. For the what? For the maturing of the saints. What? For the work, for God to do the work. What's that? For the work of the ministry. That's Philippians 2, 12 and 13. God is going to work out your own salvation with a reverence and trembling. Why? Because it is God which works in you both to will when your will submitted. Then he can do in you and through you personally what he's already completed and done about you. This is 1 John 4, 17 and 18. Then it flows to others in a beautiful way. To... For the, for the maturing, the fitting out, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, you see? When I'm humble, I'm not thinking too highly of myself. And I can forget God there too, just as easy. Or too lowly of myself. I'm not thinking of myself at all. And so here we see, for the edifying of the body of Christ. This is Acts 20. 24 to 32. And what can happen in between that too, by the way? And if you're going to go right with God, you're going to see that too. But that's not a deterrent. That even becomes an opportunity of intimacy, even that. Especially in that 29th, 30, and 30th verse. Those still can be opportunities, and they can be, because the Bible says... In Ephesians 5.20 and 1 Thessalonians 5.18, we can be thankful for all things and in all things. I'm not thankful for the evil, but I can see God's good so much more clearly and function in that and not give way to the evil in my thought life. Till we all come in the unity of the faith, that's all the proper teaching, there's not many different teachings about Christ in, in specific areas. No. There's only one. There's only one mind, 1 Corinthians 2.16, and we gave the other scriptures. We, as the Holy Spirit, took them and, and brought them to my mind, and I was able to communicate them. Till we all come in the unity of the faith, those teachings, that shield in Ephesians 6.16, of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a complete mature man unto the measure of that stature of the very fullness that Christ is in each vessel. He didn't, God just didn't give us some of his son to each of us. 
He gave it all. He gave him all to us. Beautiful. Well, why? That we henceforth be no more children, little babies, technias anymore, in our experience. That we're no more be children, tossed to and fro. I believe him. No, I don't. He's going to come through. I don't think he will. Tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. What's that? Those lies and false reasonings and imaginations in 2 Corinthians 10.5 that need to be cast down because they come from a high place, but it's not the highest place. Who Christ is in me and who I am in him. We stop being tossed to and fro and carried about. Instead of being carried by him, in our thought life, carried about by all these lies and teachings, these deceptions in Revelations 12, 9, functioning like the world, and all these accusations. I can think someone's against me. That's an accusation from the enemy to cause you to be against yourself and against that person because he accuses the brethren. Has that thought entered in anything in our relationships? Has it? Where did it come from? Who's the accuser of the brethren? Who is? The enemy. Revelations 12.10. Who does he accuse? Those that are Christ. So really, who's he accusing in the vessel? Christ. That's in Hebrews 2.11. He's not ashamed to call us brethren. There's no, there's no lie, no accusation in it. He's causing us to grow up. By every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, this is those that function under the atmosphere, whereby they lie, they wait, they lie and wait, they wait to what? To deceive. This is a whole angelic evil army through thought life. And by the way, greater is he that's in us, okay? Let me make that clear. Than he that's in the world in 1 John 4, 4. And this is the victory that has already overcome the world, even our faith. And we are, that's 1 John 5, 4. And we're more than conquerors already positionally in Romans 8, 37. Simple as that. Jesus finished the work. It's done. John 19, 30. Now we just simply walk in it through submitted will, through humility, and the grace that we need, because otherwise, if it's not grace, and this is what we wanted to get to today, fast running out of time, but it's so deep, this subject. When I don't function in grace, now remember, I can always know that I'm functioning in the grace and truth that Christ is in me experientially, because he is it. He, Jesus himself is the fullness of grace and truth. He's filled up with all that grace and truth is in, in John 1 and verse 14. And I know that I'm functioning in grace because there's no irritation. Has something irritated me? Has someone irritated me? A circumstance, a situation, what someone said, what they did, how they treated me? Well, if God is for me and he is, well, then what's against me? You know, if I'm offended in Psalm 119, 165, and someone causes, becomes the means of tripping me up, are they the blame? No, great peace have they that love your word. Nothing will cause them to stumble or offend them. You've been offended? There's no grace. There's no grace? There's irritation. Okay? And that irritation keeps out the flow of God's love. 
And when I'm irritated, irritating thoughts, they cause me to be extremely suspicious of others. And there's no suspicion in God's love. Now Jesus in John 2, 24 and 25, he knew what was in man. But he, it was never suspicion because he knew. He knew it. There's no suspicion in love. There's no irritation in grace. None whatsoever. Now, that's the scattering that the enemy does. That's how he scatters us. Now, can I truly... And we talk about, all through the Bible, it talks about in the church, us, the church right now, that are located on the earth with multitudes that are the church in heaven, by the way. We just all haven't been raptured. So if we haven't, at some point, we're going to go and be there. We're still the church. Did we know that? (laughs) Did I know it? (laughs) We're still his. We're still his built ones on himself in Matthew 16, 18, the foundation in 1 Corinthians 3, 10, and 11. That's why we're to be very careful what we build upon. Our thought life. Be very careful. Because how you perceive others truly is only how you perceive yourself. How you allow yourself to be treated is how you'll treat others. And it may not come out verbally or in action, but it can be nonverbal. This is true for any of us, Okay. Because we have the flesh in us, even though we're not of it. In and of. Those words are so huge. And that little word, on. Who are you going to lean on? In your weakest moments, faith means that I fall on him. I don't care how I feel, I fall on him. Instead of falling away, back on nothing but ruin and destruction. Because the thief steals he, he wants to break into the experience. Can't touch the position, 1 John 5, 18b. Can't touch the position. He wants to, the thief comes to steal. Well, how does he steal what's in the house? He's got to break in. He's got to come up some other way. He's not going to come through the front door that Christ is. He's going to come up some other way through thoughts in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. He's going to come some other way. Does he want to just steal? No, he wants to kill your capacity, your experience, and destroy your experience because he knows he can't touch that position. So he tries to do it through deceit. And I'll tell you the three things, how they work. Pride, lies, deceits, and now finally accusations. If he can accuse me, he'll make me an accuser sooner or later if it's not dealt with. That's the blame game. Very precise. We can see when he scatters, he scatters the sheep. Gets him all these other thoughts, all these other voices as opposed to the one voice of the the shepherd, John 10, 3, 14, and 27. And when you hear his voice, when when his voice is in your experience, in intimate fellowship, you don't hear a stranger's voice. How do I know what a stranger's voice is? The only way I do is when I hear his voice. <laughs> the mind of Christ through the word, through the specific preaching and teaching that we can only get in the measure that we need it. You're not going to get it by your little lonesome. Just not. And ne- I'm saying neither am I and neither are you. We're all in the same place. He scatters. 
And he, and he wants us to suffer, the enemy, through bad thoughts. But that's never righteous suffering through a cross. Because the cross has crucified the old in Ephesians 6, 1 through 6. But he wants it to live. The old mind to live through the flesh that's in us, but we're no longer of in Romans 8, 9. And what that does, what is all thought, the whole thought life outside of Christ, what is it? It's Genesis 6, 5 and Genesis 8, 21. The whole thought life. Listen, listen to the whole, I'm listening with you as the Holy Spirit's giving it to me in this correlation. The whole thought life is only evil continually. It doesn't change. The flesh doesn't change. It's been done away with. But it doesn't change in my experience. That's the lie from the enemy. The whole thought, plan, everything, purpose and desire is all evil in the flesh. It's all about me. Again, again Genesis 6, 5, 8, 21. Psalm 14, 1 through 3. Psalm 53, 1 through 3, with Proverbs 18, 1 and 2. The fool, self-conscious, self-aware, self... You wouldn't believe the pride on the deathbed. Suffering, bad thought, even to the end, people won't change. Unless that will submitted. It's the last thing that goes in us, it's pride. This won't do it. Nope, I'm not going to have someone else teach me. I'm going to choose. I'm not going to, I'm going to do this all by myself. I don't need anybody. I'll do it myself. Truth of the matter is, without him and without the body, we can do what? Nothing. There's no love exchange. So we get scattered. Pride. Pride. Lies. Lies, deception, accusation, ruin because of corruption. That word corrupt is very interesting. Now in Ephesians 4, we'll have to wrap this up, but we haven't even scratched this one. Oh Lord, help us. And I say us, and that includes me and us. <laughs> we is me and, and uh, me is we. Isn't that beautiful? Principle of unity and oneness, Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. Well, here it is in 4.22. That you put off concerning the former lifestyle, thought life, how you lived, the old man in the flesh that still wants to live, which is corrupt according to what? Deceitful lust. How do I know what I, what I need and when do I need it? How do I know that without patient submission and waiting on God? How do I know? Well, if I don't wait, it's just it's it's it's, it's some it's because I, I want it when I want it, it's a deceitful lust. Thank God he makes us wait. In Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it's a tree of life, and his timing is as important as his provision. Every word of God is pure. Not just the ones that I look at and think minister to me at the time. No, every word of God is pure. Proverbs 30 and verse 5. Not just selectively. Not just a selective hearer or a selective receiver. And I'm all for praising him. But boy, he wants to teach us how to do. And proper praise, it just simply means proper worship. 
It just does. And there's no self involved. There's no preservation of self. So put it off, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. And this is what he's doing with all of us this morning. It's what he did with me this morning and what he's still doing with me now because I probably need a double more than anybody. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put off. Until your mind is renewed, you won't put it off. That thought life. Put it off. Don't be a selective hearer. A selective interpreter. Every word of God is pure. And the new man, this is image, which after God is created in righteousness in Christ, in 1 Corinthians 1.30, he's our righteousness. And, the, and what? The holiness of truth. In Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt communication, thought life before it's verbal, thought life, and then it can even be nonverbal through a countenance, or, or the actions of the body, literally how I look and you know, how I come in or what I do. Yeah, I, I want to verbalize nonverbally or verbally things. <laughs> and we all do that. We all can do it. Let no corrupt communicate. You know why it says this in Ephesians 4, 28, let him that stole steal no more. You know what that is? That's John 10, 10a. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Did you know that? Did I know it? Stop allowing him to steal God's thoughts away from you experientially and giving you his. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor. That's the word. 2 Timothy 2.15, 2 Timothy 2.24, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13, 1 Timothy 5 and verse 17. Labor, working with his hands. And even in this sense, for those that are pastor teachers, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. There's labor involved in 1 Peter 5 and verse 6. Working with his hands, that's what, that's what I'm to do. That's what I should do. And all we all should do that. We all don't have the same place in the local assembly. That's why it says some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Working with his hand, the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needs. But let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. You pastors and teachers, you little under-shepherds, as long as you're submitted to Christ, corruption won't come out of you, grace will. And you hearers, if you come with corrupt thinking, you're not going to receive anything because you've made yourself the issue, the enemy, through stealing you, stealing you away through thoughts, keep capturing your will and causing you to think that everyone's against you when he's causing you to oppose yourself in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 25. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, thought life, but that which is good to the use of edifying. See, there's grace again. That it may minister grace to who? Unto who? The hearers. Unto the hearers. They're going to they're gonna look at the who, 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 who can be the hearers. I don't know. How does the world see how who we are in Christ? By how we live. How we act. By our countenance in Isaiah 3, 8. By our countenance. Does it is it something the enemy is using to testify against God in me? Whew, very, very convicting. We're going to close. I'm going over a little bit. We're going to close with this word. And you'll see this word, corrupt or corruption, 
in two different, in, in several places. But here in Ephesians 4 and verse 22, Ephesians 4 and verse 29, in Jude 10, in Revelations 19 and verse 2, in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 2, and in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 3, that word corrupt is thithro. And it means to shrivel or to wither. That's experience. Can't touch our position, but he causes us to shrivel and wither in our experience, to, to be spoiled. And he has a process through lies and projections of thoughts he projects imagination, thoughts, and reasonings against total dependence upon God. When I don't depend upon God, and I can't depend upon myself, I'm going to depend upon somebody else. Then what's going to happen? <laughs> well, you're the dot, and God's the circle, and so am I. It means to spoil by any process. And from a genitive sense, a source, the source here, a genitive, the source, genitive, where it comes from, to ruin, figuratively through moral influences. And by the way, moral in the Bible, I don't have a chance to read it this morning, but morals, there's no separation from the word morals and spirituality. I want to, let's just make that straight. Read the 1828 Noah Webster Dictionary. He was a polyglot. He understood languages. I don't say you should study through him a lot. I say you can glean in portions. You can. I thank God for what he, what God has used him in, the measure that he could. Read it. They, they are spiritual, but we put them, we put them with natural motives, and we call it morality. That's why some have said, "Oh, morality can save a nation." Oh, really? Is that biblically correct? Does that make any sense? He can save individuals there through proper morals, which are based upon spiritual principles. Another word I wanted to share, we'll get into in a different time. It means to ruin by moral influences and to deprave, to defile and to destroy. That's corruption. And then in, in, in corrupt. And then corruption in Ephesians 4, uh, 28 is, is, is sapros. And it's from this word sapo. And it's a primary verb. Verb speaks of actions to putrefy, to perish, or to be corrupted. Thank God it's not who we are in Christ. It isn't. We're more than conquerors in him. And his love has conquered us. And he's bringing that love into our, into our experience. In Jesus' name, amen.